This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. And all that jazz. Welcome to the artists. As Godard said, you don't make a movie, the movie makes you. In our movie-making profession, the workings of Murphy's Law is always at its best. In these candid conversations, we unravel those challenges that define the makers in the movie-making business. Hope these chats will inspire and elevate you to keep fighting for your dreams, but with a mode of reality check on it. I'm your host, Suchita, and this podcast is brought to you by Metaphysical Lab. Enjoy the show. Today we have with us a very rare breed of independent film distributors who acquire films solely because they love them. Uh, we are very happy to have Mr. Salesh Dave of Runaway Productions with us. Mr. Dave recently acquired the Sundance Select, taking the horse to eat jalebis for international distribution. His other films include the popular Indian indie Soleimani Kira. A blessing for indie makers, the research department of his company is putting together something called the Theatre Efficiency Index. So before you make your indie movie or decide to release it, you should definitely run it through the Theatre Efficiency Index. Check out his website, runaway-luminosity.com for more details. It was such a pleasure to chat with him and pick his brains. Sir, you had just picked up this film called Ghode Ko Jalebi, which was part of the Sundance, the new frontier work and extremely cutting-edge films. What made you pick up this film to distribute? So, I heard about this film and a good friend of mine, Amit Masurkar, who is by himself a fantastic director, mm. he brought it to my attention and he said that he saw this film at Mami Film Festival mm-hmm. and it's a great film and I should try and watch it. So, I watched the trailer. I liked it very much. Mm-hmm. And then I spoke to the director who was uh, who came and met us. And I told her that it is the kind of film that we keep doing all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a kind of film which if she would allow us, we would like to represent worldwide. Mm-hmm. And she was happy doing it. So that's how we got into the film after seeing it and really liking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though it's a very difficult film to market... Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's not that difficult, but it's an unusual film. But it breaks so many structural grounds that at, in any in any alternate universe, we would have definitely had that film. We would we would take on that film because that's a kind of stuff, that's a kind of work that we do. So, is there like a um, a strategy to distribute uh, a film like this? I think the strategy right now for the last, I think, since Mami till now, which is we are doing this, we are recording this in March first week, is that it has gone already to about 15 festivals, including a prestigious one like Sundance. And it's going to the Indian Film Festival of Los Angeles uh, next month. And it's already got invites from probably 10 other festivals. We are going to let the film create a certain amount of buzz. I think already a lot of people in the industry also know about the film. A lot of people internationally know about the film. Mm-hmm. With the work that we do, we are connected with international sales agents because we keep visiting markets worldwide. We go to AFM, we go to Cannes, we go to Berlinale, and we go to Hong Kong. So we are connected with these people. So along with the buzz, we are going to start talking about the film and what we plan to do with it. It is not 
it is never easy to release a film theatrically unless it's a big budget commercial film because theatrical releases are expensive time consuming and risky worldwide for all different kinds of films except for maybe big budget you know tent pole kind of films mm-hmm. for this film also uh, releasing it will will be a matter of building up enough buzz maybe the marketing and the selling strategies that we will have some uh, television or uh, vod offers on our uh, table first so the break even point of how much money needs to be returned back to the producer comes down mm-hmm. and then we can take certain amount of risk with the theatrical distribution but this is overall broad strategy right now i guess mm-hmm. in about another month's time we will figure out specifically what we're going to do with this film month by month mm-hmm. between now to december 19 Mm-hmm. You also produced and distributed Suleimani Kira, which was uh, slightly more in the commercial side, and it did fantastically well. Uh, so, just a minor correction: yeah. I wasn't. I was one of the co-producers of Suleimani Kira through a company that I was running at that time called mm-hmm. Mantra Runaway Entertainment, mm-hmm. and the film was originally produced by another uh, group of producers. Mm-hmm. Amit Masurkar who wrote and directed Suleimani Kheda and mm-hmm. it's a, and you're right it's an amazing film i mm-hmm. wouldn't call it like commercial commercial mm-hmm. it's a very very low budget film and i think it has a record of being the only film of its kind which uh, not record really but it's one of those unusual films which got made in 50000 dollars mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and uh, we came in when the film was complete and we finished we put in finishing funds in the film Mm-hmm. because we really liked the film mm-hmm. and me and my partners with whom I was running this fund at that time mm-hmm. we all agreed that this is the kind of film that we would love to back mm-hmm. we backed the film and got it completed even before it was accepted at various festivals and mm-hmm. then of course it started going to festivals and we started going around the world that is amit masurkar and i we would go to various festivals and try and figure out the marketing angle of it Mm-hmm. and in the end it worked out because our fund itself put a certain amount of money in the pna of the film mm-hmm. and pvr released it so we got a theatrical distribution mm-hmm. uh, with our money of course pvr uh, pvr was a distributor of record at the, on that film mm-hmm. and after that we um, we went to tvf which at that time had more than 1 million subscribers and we suggested recommended to tvf mm-hmm. that they can start a separate division where they can actually show films like sulemani kira and charge for it which is your basic transaction vod tvod model uh, tvf uh, took up a, took up this suggestion and actually started the division called tvf in box office mm-hmm. sulemani kira was their first film Mm-hmm. and an enormous number of people paid 99 rupees per streaming mm-hmm. and actually saw the film online which is also the first of its kind after that we sold the film to netflix worldwide so overall it's a story that ended uh, there was like a happy ending for the story for everyone concerned how is the strategy different from releasing a mainstream bollywood film if you have an amir khan or a salman khan film or uh, a rithik roshan film or any of these films mm. um <clears throat> or films of any big stars it actually comes with the backup attached hmm. that you are going to release it in 2000 to 5000 screens that your television deals and your other deals have been done beforehand mm-hmm. so what used to be termed in the in the hindi film cinema language as money on the table mm-hmm. has already been realized mm-hmm. and it basically works on the star power 
Mm-hmm. Now, it is changing, but it's not changing at a pace at which all of us who are in the independent cinema business would like to believe. Mm-hmm. I think that it is something which will still go on for another five to ten years. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, there needs to be another there needs to be another uh, template or another model mm-hmm. by which good cinema can at least recover its money. We are not under any illusion that an independent film will suddenly make you enormously rich. Mm-hmm. But as long as it gets its money back, makes a decent amount of profit for people who invested in the vision, mm-hmm. and the filmmaker who is obviously very talented goes on to the next project. I think that is that is that is probably a dream outcome that can be expected from uh, the independent cinema world. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the independent cinema world is also uh, going direct to digital, the you know most of them are also skipping the theatrical mode. Is that true? And is is it is it good? Yes, I think it is definitely a strategy. I'm not. Uh, while I grew up in the theatrical world when there was no digital. Mm-hmm. um there is to me the whole debate about it is not a film unless it is released in theaters is actually not a valid debate mm-hmm. to me a film is a film and if technology has allowed us the access to 190 million people across the world or mm-hmm. you know enormous access to mm-hmm. a lot of people being able to watch a film even if it is not on a wide theatrical screen i think it is fine because mm-hmm. for a lot of filmmakers and i have an example here of a documentary called the 13th which is a documentary made by eva duvernay mm. and which came straight on netflix i was tracking that documentary for a long time and i desperately wanted to see it and i was able to see it in my house on a big tv screen on netflix the day it dropped now if it was a regular theatrical release and you know these documentaries do not get an easy release i would have had to wait for a very long time but i could satisfy my need to see that film and appreciate it mm-hmm. almost immediately the moment it dropped rsvp made a film which they put directly on netflix mm-hmm. it's not because of a shortage of money but it's a prudent business decision mm-hmm. because sometimes you make a film you look at the cost of production of the film then you look at the possible pna that you will have to spend on releasing a film mm-hmm. and you come to the conclusion that this is not a film which is likely to recover its money in the theatrical circuit but i am getting a decent price and i'm recovering my cost of production and plus making maybe another 15 20% more and the filmmakers work will get seen by a lot of people i don't see i don't see what is the problem content is content mm-hmm. So the hmm. raging debate. I'm on the side of um, the VOD platforms on that. I'm just wanting to know more about the algorithms that we were talking about the other day. The algorithms defining our content. I've realized over a period of time, after doing many many TV shows and currently producing a web series, hmm. that the best content that you can probably make is content that you truly believe in. Hmm. regardless of whether that content follows the dictates of the market or not wonderful now, mm. is there a cute formula which will put together numbers and mm-hmm. tell you what you are going to be able to get from the box office mm. believe me ever since i was uh, i was a student of mass media and mm. doing my doctoral thesis on it mm. i have been coming across a lot of these kind of models and i was involved yes. in making one myself mm. Here's the thing you can take all the numbers of the world and at the end of the day any any economic event hmm. has an outcome part hmm. and it has the factors that influence that outcome hmm. 
And is it possible to plot it in an equation? Yes, it is. So on, if I were to plot it on an equation where I say box office numbers is on one side, and maybe I've isolated these 20 factors that affect 90% of my box office outcome. Mm -hmm. And then I would go ahead and actually plot how important is relatively each of these 20 factors. Mm. Theoretically, you can do it. And in fact, I know of models which are being created right now. I know these people, they work out of uh, LA and uh, they're very smart people. Mm. They have been doing it. And in fact, we also have a system in the research division that I have, mm. whereby based on a script, we can give you an idea about what is the likelihood of this film working and to what extent. But you have to remember that these kind of estimates before a film is made are likely to be between 30 to 40% off. Mm. Because the unknown part here is that the same Jurassic Park as a script would be done differently by a Steven Spielberg and would be done differently by a Brian De Palma. Mm. Now, that is the factor that no, no multiple equations or correlations can actually prepare you for it. Mm. The, the model that we have prepared is more stable because it is actually based on past data. Mm -hmm. So what we have done is that in my research division, we have created a model which we call as a theatrical efficiency index. Mm -hmm. What the theatrical efficiency index does is that it looks at the data on a theater basis, on mm -hmm. a per screen basis, because ultimately at the end of the day, your total revenue of how much money your film made is the sum total of how much your film made from each of the theaters. Mm -hmm. So if I'm releasing a film in 100 theaters, my total money that I got out of 100 theaters is what gives me the final box office number. Mm -hmm. Now, what we have done is that we have looked at the theatrical data of each of the theaters and the money that the films made in these theaters over a long period of time. And then we have created a model whereby we have come up with a conclusion and classified the theaters according to their possible ROI levels. So we can say we can tell you that this particular theater, for instance, was likely to give you the maximum return on investment because our past data suggests that a variety of different kinds of films have worked in this particular screen. What it does is that when independent filmmakers come to us, we are able to give them data, uh, data-based recommendation, and in fact, save their money by saying that this film is not something that you should release on 300 and 50 theaters, because according to our analysis, it is likely to lose money. You're likely to make the same amount of money if you release the film in 120 theaters. Mm, wonderful. Mm. And this results in a tremendous amount of efficiency on the part of an independent filmmaker who, to start with, doesn't have a lot of money. There has been like a, a change in the way the film is getting budgeted and the way the films is getting consumed. Like the films nowadays are getting divided into three different brackets. The 50 lakh bracket plus, 3 crore plus and 10 crore plus. Um, I think this is a very interesting bifurcation. If you could elaborate on this. Uh, this is my personal opinion mm -hmm. and it's based on just random observations and not really on any kind of data. Mm -hmm. But what I do feel, and this is also part of maybe our exposure to the kind of filmmakers who meet us, mm -hmm. is that I think that there is there is the personal film, which will probably be three crores or less, mm -hmm. most likely not have any known stars in it. Mm 
may still be an excellent film mm-hmm. um but it is made within a budget of say between 50 lakhs to 3 crores mm-hmm. i think there is the other kind of film which would probably go into a budget of anywhere between 12 crores to 15 crores or 10 crores to 15 crores which will have some known star in it who you can afford in that budget so let's say it's got five major characters and three out of these five major characters are likely to be known actors they are not necessarily commercial actors but they are definitely good actors and the most important thing that these films have mm-hmm. would be that it will have a fantastic script and a very good director attached to it mm-hmm. there are enough examples of these kind of films now from badai ho to bareilly ki barfi to stree and so on i don't know the exact budgets of any of these films but my sense is that they fall in this range and the fact that these films have done extremely well does not also mean that every film done in this price range will do 100 crores i'm just saying that a lot of people who can't afford to make a 100 crore film and don't believe in the less than 3 crore film budget are probably looking for stories which they can do between the 12 to 15 crore range because with a slightly known name uh, maybe television money is uh, guaranteed with a, if the film does well at the box office uh, with critics also liking it then uh, sword would pick it up and it is very likely that if you make a good film in this 12 to 15 crore budget you're going to recover your money and make some decent money on top of that mm-hmm. uh then you of course come into the big range which is the big a plus stars which the films could go into anywhere between you know 40 crores plus and so on that is a completely different math altogether and i don't even i don't even want to think that i know anything about that math because i'm not a part of that mm-hmm. and i wouldn't know if i were to be made a part of that about how to do i think that i can hand so this is how i see films kind of you know arranging themselves over a period of time now how long this trend would last only depends on what made 100 crores last week because we keep changing with what works and what is not working mm-hmm. but right now the way i see it this is where it falls the 12 to 15 crore film will have very few problems getting a release will have a decent theatrical release mm-hmm. the less than 3 crore film will find it most difficult to get a theatrical release it is not just a question of the independent filmmaker in this price range not having the money to release a film mm-hmm. the problem is also because we have probably one of the lowest per capita um, number of theaters in the country and it happens to be a country that makes the largest number of films in the world Mm-hmm. so there is obviously a bottleneck mm-hmm. last week our company released a film called gopi gayan bhaga bajain which is a fantastic story it's an it's a 85 80 minute animation film mm-hmm. which on based on a very popular children's story mm-hmm. we did about 83 theaters and uh, but in that week there were 22 films releasing oh my god Now what happens is that when there are 22 films releasing the mm-hmm. theatrical chains have a major problem trying to prioritize. Mm. Now everybody is running a business. The theater chains are not in this for charity. They are running a business. So for them the films that they will give priority to is obviously a film which is most likely to make money at the box office and sell the maximum popcorn. Mm. So a less than 3 crore film typically 
has the biggest difficulty in trying to get show timings, trying to get theaters. We have been frustrated again and again and again when we have taken a fantastic film, which is in this price range, but with lesser known actors. And even though we believe that the film is as good as it can get, we have had a problem in showcasing and the theater and the theaters and the good show timings. So this is the biggest fight mm-hmm. for an independent filmmaker in this country right now. We do not have art house chains. We do not have theaters which are dedicating a certain number of shows every week mm-hmm. to certain types of films. Now, the problem is that if you, you know, it is it is not like if the film is good, then there will be people discovering it and millions of people will watch it. Mm-hmm. No, it is not the case. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, very cynically speaking, unless you get at least two decent shows and a base number of theaters, the film will not get discovered. And if it doesn't get discovered, then the word of mouth doesn't spread. If the word of mouth doesn't spread, then from Monday onwards, your films will either get yanked off or will go into the dead collection zone. So this is what really is the is is the theatrical equation, which is why I'm all for an independent filmmaker wanting to go straight to Amazon or Mm -hmm. to Netflix Mm -hmm. because then it makes economic sense for them and their producers. Mm -hmm. Um, A theatrical distribution just remains um, an ego exercise or a, or something to say, okay, we released our film in theaters. Can an independent creator start working backwards, uh, you know, when they start pitching their scripts in terms of looking at the distribution first and then coming into the production aspect of things. Will that make things easier for them? Yes. In fact, the company that I was talking about, and Mm. we also do a little bit of that in our research division, Mm. there is a way whereby you can tell a filmmaker and say that if this is your script and if this is the work that you've done in the past Mm -hmm. and if this is the level of actors that you're thinking about bringing into your film... And if this is your budget, then this is your likely return on the film. All these are speculative numbers, but these are but when you do it uh, when you do it with enough data on hand, it is possible mm-hmm. to at least create mm. at least create something whereby you can say this is the this is the risk equation that you're running for anybody who wants to invest in the film. So any film project mm-hmm. when it is pitched can be evaluated on the basis of how likely is this film to make what amount of money. The data can come from how much have similar films made in the past, how much has this director's previous films made in the past or a comparable director, Mm -hmm. what kind of distribution um, mathematics will work here, How how much can you make from which international markets. Because by this time, the business is mature enough where I can look at a film and I've done this exercise for a few films mm-hmm. where we have contributed to uh, an idea about how much money you're likely to make, say, in Portugal or mm-hmm. in Philippines. Mm-hmm. And you add up all those major markets and come up with a number and say that this is what the film is likely to make. So if you're looking at a $1.5 million film, for instance, which would be around 12 crores, uh, I'm talking about an international film now, but let's come back to an Indian uh, film, which is if you come up with a story and you say, this is my story, mm-hmm. 
I think that there are ways in which we can actually tell a filmmaker how likely it is that this film will succeed or not succeed. Mm-hmm. None of them want to hear the fact that it will not succeed. Okay. But it is at the end of the day a business. You are running, you're playing with somebody's money. I'm very, uh, with all my passion, which I don't have to talk about, I'm still very clear that at the end of the day, this is a business. If you do not continue to make money on your films, people will stop giving you money for films. It is very simple. Unless you have unlimited amounts of money that you've come with in this business. And I don't think that anybody has that. So there is a way of estimating whether a film is likely to work or not. Sometimes it is thematic based. And this is very surprising but and kind of sad. But we have realized in our experience that a lot of films which are based on social topics, which are uh, not pleasant, um, like female infanticide, for instance, Mm -hmm. or stories which are based on tragic events that have happened. Mm -hmm. Unless you've done a fantastic job of doing it, Mm -hmm. these films somehow not work. I'm not saying it's a blanket rule, mm-hmm. but sometimes these films do not work. And the only and some of these are really good films that we've been involved in, actually. Mm-hmm. And the only answer that I can have for this is that I think society doesn't like a mirror. You don't want to be shown what you're really worst at. Mm-hmm. And maybe film watching is still an escapist exercise to a certain extent in india or world worldwide worldwide mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you want to you want to see something that you know that that you will like to spend your 2 hours on uh, remember that the only currency that really changes hands in watching a film besides the fact that you're giving a subscription amount of money to netflix and amazon and whoever and you're buying a ticket mm-hmm. you are buying entertainment for your time Mm -hmm. you're buying something that will move you entice you uh, challenge you in a manner that you find intellectually exciting and in return what you're giving is two hours of your time there are 24 hours in a day and your expendable time must be on something that you believe you will get the most out of and your challenges as a filmmaker are incredible. I mm. can use my two hours to walk my dog. I can use my two hours to read a book that I've been wanting to read. I can watch YouTube videos of cats. I can watch uh, Narcos once again because it's so fascinating for me. Somebody's criminal life has excited me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for me to be able to get into my car, go into a theater, park my car, walk into the theater hall to see mm-hmm. a film and buy expensive popcorn you Mm. have to give me a very strong reason to do it Mm. and this is the only currency exchange Mm -hmm. that takes which is where you know a spectacular film which must be seen in a theater Mm. will obviously get somebody excited far more than your independent film Mm -hmm. so if somebody if an independent filmmaker wants to uh, you know um, get his equation right in terms of Coming from the distribution to production, they can contact uh, uh, your shop? Yes. Mm. Yes. Please Mm. distribute my number freely. (laughs) Do not be shy. (laughs) 
Okay, tell me about what do you think about the content boom and how much, how far it's going to go. I think it is going to go on for at least some time in the foreseeable future. I see anywhere between two to four years, mm-hmm. uh, because it's suddenly like floodgates have opened and anybody and everybody is making a web series at a very very high budget, mm-hmm. which. Uh, always gets producers like me very excited <laughs> because we all want a part of that gold pot. Mm. Um, and it's also an opportunity to tell the kind of stories which we have not been allowed to tell. Because I know for the longest time when I was doing television and given a good opportunity, I would still do television because I love the medium. But I have been in meetings where if I came up with an idea for a show, I would actually be told that your show is a smart idea and we don't like smart ideas. Mm-hmm. Now, I think finally I'm at a place where lots of people are at a place where nobody will throw you out of the room just because you're smart. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying this in a facetious or a egoistical manner, but mm-hmm. this has actually happened. Mm-hmm. And the people on the other side of the table were also right because they knew their audiences far more than I did. So if they did not want an idea from me, it is because they knew that it is not likely to work. So there's no point in my banging my head on the wall saying, no, you know, you must do it. I mean, it's a business at the end of the day. I understand that as much as anybody else. So, yes, there is a content boom and there is a tremendous uh, demand for content. Because if I my head spins every time I talk to somebody and you know, I'm told that they are they are they are creating 150 shows this year, and I multiply that by the number of platforms out there. And I'm thinking, you know, my God, people will stop going to regular jobs, and everybody will become a content creator now. <laughs> but do you think this and, content? Uh, I'm just going to interrupt you here since we're sure. talking about this. Um, do you think all these content creators, the big companies who are wanting content, are getting defined by the same algorithms? Because apparently. I was dealing with two different uh, companies and both of them wanted the same kind of stories because they felt that this is the in thing nowadays. I think different kinds of stories have a different life cycle. Mm-hmm. There was a time in US when documentaries, if you release them in theaters, would not make more than one to two million dollars. Mm-hmm. So documentaries was always a kind of business which was done very carefully because the returns were doubtful. Mm-hmm. If I look at the box office numbers of the last two years, mm-hmm. documentaries have started making such enormous amounts of money, which is in excess of 11 million, 15 million, 20 million dollars. Mm-hmm. The documentaries has suddenly now become like the flavor of the year. Mm-hmm. It is not that the documentaries which were being released before two years were bad documentaries. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just that I think that these things come in waves and maybe documentaries would be like this for two years and then something else would come in. If you look at the Indian film industry, for instance, right now, I'm almost sure that every fifth film being made is a biopic mm-hmm. or being made on uh, a real life story mm-hmm. because I think that people have suddenly discovered that maybe this is uh, this is a safe way of doing it or this is a sure way of doing it. Um, and uh, enough of these films succeed, enough people will follow in droves and try and find everybody from every corner who probably has a story to tell about himself or herself and start making films on it. 
I was listening to a podcast from Hollywood and I think there was a very, uh, very smart producer who said that waves come and last for three years mm-hmm. and then something else comes in. Mm-hmm. It's a question of that. And I don't really know uh, for how long each of these waves is going to last. As far as the content being created by these platforms is concerned, uh, whether it's Applause or Alt Balaji or Amazon in India or Netflix in India, I think they are all looking for stories which are extremely well told and which will have a tremendous amount of entertainment value. Uh, so if I look at Mirzapur, if I look at um, you know the other series on uh, Netflix, I think that they are all looking at what is going to create the biggest impact and become the talking point. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there are lots of series being made which are of a smaller budget and with smaller directors or smaller cast and so on. But to me, I don't think that it's uh, everybody is experimenting with everything actually right now. Mm-hmm. So I see that there's a wide range of subjects, and mm-hmm. I think the winners at the end of uh, winners at the end of it would be people who are telling it in the best way possible. Mm, wonderful. Uh, coming to the last question, what do you think are the few things that an independent maker can uh, be um, uh, like it can be on their watch list uh, so that they can break the clutter around them? I think an independent filmmaker is essentially by definition someone who already knows what film he or she wants to make. Yes. <laughs> They, but then the algorithms a, come in in between, you know, so, the so focus I'm group coming, comes. I think I meet enough independent filmmakers where I'm always fascinated by the passion and the hard work that they have put in, mm-hmm. in order to make sure that their film gets done. I wish I had a lot of that. Mm-hmm. If I had that, I think I would have made a lot more films. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I will buy that from the market or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's available, <laughs> but these people have it in plenty. Mm-hmm. So they already know the film that they are making. Mm -hmm. I think that the thing that they need to know or Mm -hmm. understand more about is what is going to happen to my film once I make it. Yes. Because I've realized I I go to Goa where there are like 250, 300 films which are almost done. Mm -hmm. I've realized that what is lacking in the the sub three crore genre of filmmakers Mm-hmm. or that level of films is an understanding of how the business actually works. Mm. They have to understand and remember that making the film is only 30% of the battle. Yes. The balance battle starts the moment you finish your film. Yes. And to have somebody on board from the beginning who is guiding you through the process, mm. I think increases your chances of succeeding once the film is over Mm. because i also know that the same passion with which an independent filmmaker makes a film Mm -hmm. that same filmmaker is going to get very frustrated if he or she realizes that there is no way of putting this film out there Mm. you don't make a film for yourself i mean that's pretty indulgent if you do it Mm. a lot of people probably do it but that's pretty indulgent you're Mm -hmm. working with somebody else's money yes So I think an understanding of what happens to the film after it gets made is something that you should know before you start making a film. Absolutely. And while they may all claim that we know what happens to a film, you know, it gets distributed and all that, the the extent of lack of information and knowledge that I see Mm -hmm. in young filmmakers Mm -hmm. is astounding to me. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm saying you took somebody's two crores, you started making a film. Mm-hmm. You or your producers do not even have an idea about what is going to happen to this film once you make it. Mm-hmm. That to me is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I hate sounding like a school principal, <laughs> but you know, no, I think to me, to me, mm-hmm. I think I think you're doing a disservice to your craft mm-hmm. by not figuring out what are you going to do with it. It is not a painting. It is not like you just invested money in in paint and uh, canvas and you started painting at home. And if something doesn't sell, too bad. It doesn't sell. You're not like wasting somebody's crores. Yes. This is a collaborative exercise. You took the time of 50 other technicians who worked with you for like six months, one year, whatever time it took to put together something which is a final product and you have to know what to do with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to send you like these two scripts that I'm putting on floor and you know, I would want your opinion on it in terms sure. of what so, do you think about so, it. Yeah, sure. Yes. So what we've also started doing is when people send us scripts, we send them a bill. And <laughs> of course. <laughs> and we say that for us to guide you from the beginning of the project, here is the amount that you need to pay us. Yes. <laughs> sure. Knowledge, Thank you. That's, that's a lot on the plate for an independent filmmaker. <laughs> Well, you know, it is less expensive than actually spending one and a half crores and then asking the question at the end of it. Absolutely. It's great chatting with you, sir. And um, yeah. I hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thank you, Suchita. Hope you guys had some great takeaways from this episode. Check out his website, runaway-luminosity.com for more details. You can connect with Mr. Dave on his Facebook and Twitter handle. Watch out the space for our Cannes episode coming right up.